Psalm 85 for the chief musician, a psalm by the sons of Korah. Yahweh, you have been favourable to your land. You have restored the fortunes of Jacob. You have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You have covered all their sin. Selah. You have taken away all your wrath. You have turned from the fierceness of your anger. Turn us, God of our salvation, and cause your indignation to us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you draw out your anger to all generations? Won't you revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, Yahweh. Grant us your salvation. I will hear what God, Yahweh, will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and triumph meet together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs out of the earth. Righteousness has looked down from heaven. Yes, Yahweh will give us that which is good. Our land will yield its increase. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. All right. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah. And uh, this psalm is fits very late into the history of Israel. In fact, if you know your, you know, the history of the people of God, they, you know, do come into the promised land. God uh, blesses them, but then they don't do what the Lord wants. And then eventually the Babylonians come, attack them, and they're taken away to exile for 70 years. And then the Lord brings them back to the land, not all of them. And this psalm is written at the time when they've just come back into the land. And so they're back in the land, but all the houses are, are smashed down. You know, they've got to start from scratch and they've got to rebuild everything. And this psalm is in that position. And so it starts out by saying, God, you've forgiven us our sins. You've forgiven our iniquity. But now, Lord, help us. Now revive us. So it's very much this type of a situation like you've been so kind to us, God. We've done the wrong thing to you. You've forgiven us. You've helped us. But now we're beginning from scratch. Now, Lord, revive us. So it's kind of like a revival psalm. <laughs> and um, so many of us as Christians are in this position because the Lord's been so kind to us. He's forgiven us our sins. He's brought us out of difficult positions. He's helped us stand on our feet. But now we realize we need him, just like these Israelites did. So I have a few questions for you. In verse 2 of this psalm, it said, You have forgiven the sins of your people. You have covered all their sin. Now, when Jesus came to die on the cross, he came around about 500 years after this psalm was written. Jesus came so that we, all humanity, could be forgiven of our sins. So how could someone write and say God had forgiven all their sins when Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. Now you remember the Israelites when we were back in the book of Leviticus, they used to sacrifice bulls and goats and things as a way of atoning for sin. The truth is that, was, that actually didn't atone for the sin. It was just what the Lord had them do so that it, would, it was basically setting up 
the, the idea in the minds of everyone that blood was needed to atone for sin. Now, um, so here we've got someone that's saying, God, you've forgiven us our sin. How could that even happen when, you know, first of all, there's no temple because the temple's been completely destroyed. They've gone away to Babylon. They've come back from Babylon. There's no temple. There's no sacrifice. There's no bulls and goats being sacrificed. There's no priests to do it. So that old Levitical way of doing it doesn't exist. And um, But yet he's saying God's forgiven us. And, but Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet, for not for another 500 years. So how exactly does this forgiveness work here? Now, before I answer that question, sometimes you you or anyone may be just discussing things with, say, um, someone who doesn't believe in God, an atheist or someone like that, and they will say something like this. They will say, Jesus didn't need to die on the cross. If God was so great, why didn't he just forgive just because he could? And so what they think in their mind is that forgiveness is just like a choice. You can forgive or not forgive. If you want to, do it. If you don't want to, don't. They think forgiveness is just like that. So they think, for example, you know, if your neighbour does something to you and scratches your car, forgive him if you want, but if you don't want to, don't. They think it's just simple. It's not simple. Forgiveness is not simple like that. True forgiveness, true sin requires um, justice. In fact, there's, there's no such thing as the forgiveness of sin without blood being shed. There has to be blood. Now, when I say that, you might think that just doesn't make sense. Why does there have to be blood? Well, that's why we have a whole Bible and a whole progression of the story to explain this. But to give you just one simple scripture, it would be Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, which says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. You simply cannot be forgiven unless something, is, something has to die. Sin is so hideous, it requires death. That's basically it. The only way that someone can be forgiven is if there's payment for it. So the, what we have in the death of Christ is payment for sin. The Christ's death and atonement is an amazing part of history. It's, in fact, it's the central point of all history. It's not just paying for sin. It's doing a lot more than that. But it certainly is the remission. It is certainly the shedding of blood for the remission of sins. Because that happened for the sins of the whole world, so this is the lamb that was slain for the sins of the world, because of that, God can forgive. He's able to forgive. So you imagine a law that said, you know, we have laws in Australia and a law that said, you know, if somebody does A, B will be the consequence. So there's a judge, for example, and he's got the law and in before him comes someone to be judged and he looks down and lo and behold, it's one of his children. He loves them very much. He doesn't want them to go through the consequence, but yet the law says if A happens, B will be the consequence. He's got no choice. He has to bring down the consequence. If he just says, oh, you're let off, now the judge is in question. The judge is not, the judge is basically not good anymore. The judge is open to bribery or the ju judge is open to corruption. Well, see, God is not like that. God can't just turn a blind eye to sin because sin is so hideous. Sin has to be dealt with. And God took it so seriously, he dealt with it by sending his own son 
shedding the blood of his son for the remission of all sins, now he can forgive. So that's why we have forgiveness possible. So when someone says, oh, God could forgive if, we want, if he wanted to, but not if he didn't want to, it's an oversimplification because they don't understand how serious sin actually is. And we had all the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus setting it up to show us that blood was required. We talked about that back in all those videos. So here we've got the psalmist, a son of Korah, saying, Lord, you've forgiven us. How could God forgive when Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet? Well, the answer is so simple. It's because when Jesus died on the cross, it was for everyone, even those who hadn't lived yet. Now, we think, oh, um, we think um, that, that because we live after the cross, Jesus' payment was done for us so we can lean on it. But the fact is our sins hadn't been committed yet. But the sins that happened here had been committed before. So when Jesus came along, he actually paid for all the sins that had already happened up to that point, and he paid for all the sins that hadn't happened after that point. So anyone at any time in history can look at Christ in faith and receive the forgiveness of their sins. So the son of, sons of Korah and people like David and Job, there were quite a number of people in the Old Testament who looked at, at God in faith in towards the Messiah and received the forgiveness of their sins and received the gift of righteousness by faith. So people could look forward, knowing that God was going to provide a Messiah, they could look toward that in faith and put their trust in him. And because God did that, the act of Christ is timeless. We, we find out in Revelation 13 verse 8 that it says that Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. Before the earth was even created, God's act of sacrifice had already happened. God's a time traveler. And I know that doesn't make logical sense. But scriptures tell us that the thing that Jesus did was foundational. Before he even created the world, he knew that was needed and he had set that in place. So from a logical time point of view, at the time this psalm was written, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. But from a, from a completely different way of thinking about it, anyone at any point in history, at any place in the world could look with faith towards God and receive the forgiveness of their sins because it was for all time and for all people. That's good, good news. In verse 6, this, the psalmist now is praying and says, God, revive us. Let the people may rejoice in you. Show us your loving kindness, Yahweh. Give us your salvation. And this is a key prayer for us. We are a bit like the people that had returned from Babylon. We're starting from scratch in some ways. Every generation of believers has to come to the Lord and find the Lord for themselves. We cannot depend on the faith of our parents and the, the grace and the, the moving and the things that God's done before are wonderful and we learn from them, but we have to find the Lord for ourselves. So we pray this type of a prayer. Revive us, Lord. Grant us your salvation. And we believe that the Lord will come and stir up things in our lives and the power of the Lord will work. The last verse of this psalm, well, second last verse, verse 12, it says, Yahweh will give us the things that are good. And so there's a bit of faith in this prayer and we need that faith too. Lord, I want to pray that you would revive us, revive our hearts, 
Help us to have, Lord, a, a faith that's living and breathing and active and fresh. And Lord, I thank you for the promise that's in here that you will give us what is good. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.